Greetings to you all. Welcome to Back to Ashes. I hope you are all ready for this three-day Halloween event. Please keep your eyes on the screen as those who have requested these stories have gotten their requests fulfilled. I won't take any more of your time. So, with that being said, it is time to go back to ashes and under the grave. For once we rise from the dead, we are all just a decrepit form of ourselves as we come back from the grave. So of that being said, sit back, relax, get back, grab your snacks, or tuck in and get warm. And prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled Subscriber Requested Halloween Mashup. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play. And after that, there will be no more ads within this video. <laughs> oh, and I almost forgot. If you are new here or haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and comment, or else you'll really find out what goes bump in the night. <laughs> A family of four, two young children and their parents were traveling on the road to wherever. When their car broke down, the parents went out to look for help and left the radio on for the kids in case they got bored. By nightfall, the parents still hadn't returned. Sat in the darkness, the children continued to listen to the radio and grew alarmed when they heard that a dangerous killer was on the loose. Having escaped from a prison nearby, the newsreader warned listeners to take extreme care when going about their business. Time passed and the children waited. The silence outside the car was absolute until suddenly they heard knocking on the car roof above them. Clank, clank, clank. The knocks grew louder and faster. Doif, doif, doif. Unable to bear it any longer, the children opened the car doors and fled in terror. Only the eldest dared to turn to see the source of their fear. On top of their car was a large man who was bouncing two objects on top of the vehicle. The heads of the children's parents. I remember the first time I met the Grim Reaper. He's even more terrifying than anyone says, but not for the reasons you think. The Grim Reaper isn't some cloaked figure like in a TV show. He's not a skeleton who wields a magical scythe that slices through the fabric of the universe. No, he's much worse. I was seven when he first appeared to me. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was playing dodgeball with the neighborhood kids when our red kickball rode into the street unexpectedly. That detail sticks out in my mind like a sore thumb. The red kickball. 
Strange how the mind stores random little pieces of information like that. Danny, you threw it into the road. You go get it. I said, arms crossed. He grinned deviously back at me. I think we should make Maggie do it. That's what she gets for being a girl. Yeah, I heard she has cooties. Gross. Turner chimed in, crinkling his nose. I turned to Maggie. I could already see the tears welling in her eyes. I hate it when they picked on her like that. Ugh, no, it's fine. I'll get it. I said, shooting Maggie a smile. She returned a weak grin at me, her cheeks turning bright red. Thank you, Colton, she murmured as I trudged to the street. Danny and Turner chided mockingly behind me as I went. Thank you, Colton. Colton, you're my hero. I love you, Colton. I shot them a death glare once I reached the curb. They immediately shut up, and that's the last thing I remember before waking up in a dark, empty void. I opened my eyes logically. I knew that my brain should have been in full-on panic mode. But at first, I was filled more with curiosity than fear. I rose to my feet. I gazed down, trying to make out what I was standing on. But there was nothing just endless black as far as the eye could see. That's when the dread seeped in. Where was I? Was this hell? <sighs> Hello? I timidly called out. My voice echoed throughout the all-compassing nothingness. I wasn't really expecting a response, but I got one. Hello? A deep, menacing voice boomed through the darkness. My eyes went wide as saucers and my blood ran cold. Do not be afraid, the voice continued. This is the end between. You are neither alive or dead, but you do not have long. Soon you will cross over to the other side. Normally, I'd be having a full-on meltdown, but the candace and low rumble of his tones worked to calm my nerves. Still, it was difficult to process. How did I get here? Try to remember. I tried my best, but failed to dredge up a single detail that could have led to my demise. And then it hit me like a freight train. Memories flashed my brain like a tidal wave. A torrent of emotion surged through me as my grim reality sank in. I ran into the street to get the red kickball. The oncoming truck driver tried to slam on his brakes, but he was going too fast. I didn't stand a chance. I remember lying on the ground. I remember my friends and parents crowding around in pure shock. I remember the blood pooling all around me as my consciousness slowly faded away. And then, I was here. I, I got hit by a truck, I murmured, lost in thought. That's right. And I brought you here to collect your soul. I froze, 
tears began streaming down my face. I wasn't talking with some benevolent entity. No, I'd landed myself in the worst possible scenario. So, so you're Yes, I am dead. I was silent for a long time. My worst fear had been confirmed. This was the Grim Reaper. Images of my life began flashing through my head. My sixth birthday party. The day my parents got me a dog. Two afternoons prior when Maggie held my hand on the swing set. It was all about to come to a close. There were so many experiences I'd never get to have. Driving a car, going to high school, having my first kiss. I wasn't going to get to do any of that. My life had been so short, and I wasn't ready for it to come to an end. But after what felt like a lifetime reflecting on my childhood, death spoke again, snapping me from my reverie. Child, your time has come. Suddenly, a rectangle of light radiated amidst the endless blackness. I started floating toward it involuntarily, my legs betraying me as I drifted closer. It was no use. This was the end of the line. Tears clouded my vision. Just a few more agonizing seconds, and I'd cross over to the other side. It was so bright. So, so bright. I don't know what motivated me to speak. The words just tumbled from my mouth as if of their own accord. I shouldn't have said anything. Wait, there has to be something I can do. I'm not ready to die yet. I lurched to a stop. Everything was eerily silent for a long time, as if the Grin Reaper was deep in thought. There might be a way... I awoke in a hospital bed. My parents were sitting in matching chairs beside me. They looked defeated, like they hadn't slept in days. Once she noticed that my eyes were open, Mom looked shell-shocked. Then, her visage melted into one of pure, unabated relief. She rushed over to me, tears cascading down her cheeks. Mom tenderly ran her fingers down the side of my face, she gazed lovingly into my eyes as Dad stood behind her with a grin plastered across his lips. I couldn't stop myself from sobbing like an infant. I thought I would never get to see them again. Mom gently hugged me. I buried my face into her, wetting the sleeve of her blouse. Mom? <laughs> Dad? <laughs> Mom released me momentarily, and both of them stared at me expectantly. I smiled and met their gazes. I, I love you so much. So, so much. That was the happiest day of my life. My parents showed me how much they truly cared, and that is a memory that I will cherish forever. Unfortunately, my joy was short-lived because Danny's body was found a day later. The official cause of death was a snake bite. He'd been playing alone by the creek just down the road from his house when he was bitten by a water moccasin. 
multiple of them. Guilt gnawed at me like a piranha. Danny died because of me. Yeah, he could be a jerk sometimes, but he definitely didn't deserve that. I couldn't bear the thought of him lying there, weakly calling for help, only for his cries to fall on deaf ears. It must have been painful, too. I can't imagine how much he must have suffered in those final fleeting moments. I thought I'd never be able to forgive myself, yet the very next year, I did it again. On Halloween, when the veil between the living room and the dead is the thinnest, the Grim Reaper visited me. I opened my eyes that morning to find myself in that same pitch black nothing. I wasn't afraid like I was before. It was what we'd agreed upon, after all. Every year on Halloween, I was to awaken in the empty void and give death a new sacrifice. Hello, child. Do you have a martyr for me? That familiar menacing voice boomed. Uh, yeah, yes, yes I do. That year, it was Hannah Benson's turn to die. Her death was easier to deal with. She'd been picking on me all year, but still, she didn't deserve to die like that. Hannah was the victim of a home invasion. A burglar snuck into her family's house when her parents were out for groceries. Hannah had heard the intruder and screamed that she had a gun through her parents' locked bedroom door. That was all the man needed to hear. Instead of leaving like any sane person would... He rained bullets through the woods, separating himself and the terrified little girl. She was hit once in the abdomen and left to bleed out on the cold, rigid hardwood. I don't even want to begin to imagine the amount of hurt I caused her parents. They had to pay the ultimate price due to my selfish antics. But I was still too cowardly to stop. Things continued on like that throughout my high school career and into college. Halloween would pass and someone new would die. Over time, I started to feel numb to it. I turned a blind eye and go about my business as if nothing had happened. And then, after this past Halloween, it finally occurred to me. Why can't I pay off my debt all at once? A group sacrifice would be much more convenient than giving out individual names each year. Especially if it's a bunch of random people on the internet that I have no connection to. And I've made a deal with a reaper before. Who's to say I can't do it again? To everyone reading this, I'm sorry. I lied to you. The title says that it's my turn to die this year, but... That's not true. You see, I'm a coward, and I always will be. So I'm using this site to my advantage. If you've read my story, then this Halloween, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's your turn to die. Don't try clicking off this post either. If you've made it this far, it's already too late. You should start making your arrangements now. I guess I should thank you, because due to your unwilling sacrifice, 
death will be off my back for a long, long time. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. This happened when I was either 10 or 11. It was Halloween night, and to make things even better, this year it fell on a Friday. I was trick-or-treating with a friend of mine who I'll just call Jane. And both her mom and my mom, Jane was dressed as a birthday present, and I was Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. It was around 9 p.m., and Jane and I collected a mountain of candy, to the point where our arms were beginning to hurt from carrying the bags. During our trek, we came to a hill in our neighborhood where there aren't any houses until you get to the top. I was determined to increase my candy intake as fast as possible. So I sprinted to the top of the hill, leaving Jane and our parents behind. When I got to the top, I heard my mom yell for me to wait for them. I was impatient, but I still did as I was told. About that time, a black car pulled up next to me. I can't remember what type of car it was, but I think it was either a Volvo or a Honda Civic. A guy who looked like he was in his late 20s to early 30s rolled down the window and said hello to me. He looked like the friendly type, so I happily said hello back. He asked me, Have you gotten any candy tonight? I responded, Yep, I sure have. And happily showed off my nearly overflowing bag. He smiled. That's awesome. Can you come here and give me some of that candy? That's when I froze. My parents were the kind of people who drilled stranger danger warnings into your head. And this guy may not have looked like a creeper, but all the signs seemed to be there. Even my 10 or 11 year old self could see that. At that point, I really had no idea what to do. I guess the guy saw my face because he motioned for me to come. I just want a little candy. You don't have to give me your whole bag, he said. I noticed someone in the passenger side of the car leaned forward to look at me, and both had creepy smiles on their faces. I contemplated whether or not I should run. Luckily, about that time, my mother came running up the hill having seen what was going on. The guy saw her too and his face turned white. 
I gotta go, he said, staring at my mom the whole time and floored the car down the road. My mom ran to me and I threw my arms around her and started crying. When Jane and her mom finally caught up, we all walked back to my house. I was clinging to my mom's arm the entire time. My bag of candy was eventually able to take my mind off the situation, but I occasionally look back on this nowadays and can't help but wonder what could have happened to me if I had gone up to that guy's car. I thank God that I was smart enough not to. So, creepy Halloween guy, I hope we never meet again. I am not a forest ranger, but I'm a soil conservationist of the USDA. I spend a lot of time out looking at cropland and CRP, which means Conservation Reserve Program, prairie restorations. Needless to say, it was uncommon for me to find myself miles from the nearest road. One time, I was out looking at CRP in a heavily wooded area of my county. I was probably half a mile or so off the road on a trail when I came upon a small clearing with what appeared to be an abandoned playground and school bus. There was a rusty swing set and a huge rainbow merry-go-round. Alone, this would have creeped me out, but I was truly terrified to see the merry-go-round spinning extremely fast. There was no wind in the clearing. So somebody, or something, had to have made that spin. I called out and nobody answered. I turned around and immediately left. I figured it may have been an old school, so I took a look at our old maps and asked our archaeologist to look into it. We couldn't find anything about it. I haven't gone back. I told my boss he could go look at it, not sure if he ever did. I'm not a superstitious person, but this made the hair on my neck stand up. All right, dear listeners, these next few camping stories are really short, so I'm going to read five in a row, labeled with a number in between. Here we go. Number one. The Possessed Tent Mate Not knowing a friend sleepwalked and talked and waking up at 3 a.m. to find him standing in the middle of the tent with his eyes closed, face pointing up at the sky like he was having a divine conversation and screaming, Who's out there? Show yourself! In an extremely creepy voice before laying back down. No amount of, Hey man, what the hell is going on? could get him to answer why he was acting like he was possessed. Number two, strange light coming to get us. I don't see anything except a very strange and bright light coming up the trail where we had walked down earlier. My brain tells me it's a campsite and someone's made a huge fire. I turn my lights off and stare at the light and it starts walking towards us. We both exchange holy shit glances, and I turn my light back on. 
the light stops coming towards us and remains stationary. I turn my light off again, and again the strange light starts walking towards us in an eerie back-and-forth motion, like a drunk stumbling down the trail. The wind has died down now, and we can finally clearly see what this light actually is. A full moon. Number 3. Attack of the Tree Limbs a big windstorm in a branch weighing about a hundred pounds came crashing down right in front of my tent door minutes after we got to sleep. It was just enough side branches scratching the tent to put the fear of God in one's soul. Number 4. Guns, the Policeman in the Tent Being awoken by a cop leaning into my tent screaming, Do you have any weapons? Over and over. Turns out, after I had passed out, drunk, my friends started firing a 357 into the air repeatedly. The weirdest part is that, after writing him a ticket for the marijuana he had in his pocket, the cop gave my clearly intoxicated friend his loaded pistol and shot back and told us to go home. Number 5. I was camping with my scout troop in Joshua Tree National Forest. We were fading off to sleep when we hear some heavy footsteps outside, stepping slowly, like a good-sized adult trying to sneak up on us. The footsteps paused for a little bit and then continued. So we yelled down to the campfire that we hear heavy footsteps up here. They insist everyone else is down at the fire. Within a few minutes, the footsteps are back, but not as heavy as before. When they got close to the tent, I popped my head out, but don't see anything. In the morning, we didn't see any footprints in the sand. I was the victim of a bear walker. In First Nations culture, a bear walker is someone who uses our sacred medicines for bad and not good. They can make anyone very sick. Only a medicine man may reverse it, and it often comes as a gamble for the bear walker. Once reversed, they will suffer more than the one that made them sick. I was 20 years old and very healthy. One night I had a dream. I was in a field and was picking wild flowers. From each direction, a tornado was coming at me. I woke up in a fevered sweat. That began two months of sheer misery. My doctor kept saying that I had a UTI. She would give me antibiotics and it would subside for a while. I lost 40 pounds in the span of two months. By the end of it, I couldn't walk. Barely ate. Finally, my mom got tired of it. My sister bundled me up and we went to the hospital. Though an earlier ultrasound showed nothing... There was a huge growth on my ovary. A few days later, I had surgery, and when the doctor came to visit me, he said he never seen anything like it. It was a yellow, almost concrete-like substance around my ovary. I got better, but my mom remained unconvinced and scheduled an appointment with a medicine man. We gave him tobacco, and he smoked a pipe and sang a song. 
He said something along the lines of a woman seeing me at a powwow. She became interested in who I was because of my mother. She threw a piece of my medicine in my path. I stepped on it and it went up the right leg. He asked me if I still felt it. I of course said yes. He took a bone, what kind I am not sure, placed it in the area and began to suck. Weird I know. He started vomiting yellow. Vomiting yellow. Like the doctor said, he gave me medicines and rituals for my mom to do. I went home that night and slept for 13 hours. My sickness never returned. Turns out that medicine man was a witch that knew what he was doing. A pair of hikers have shared their belief they stumbled across the legendary Bigfoot monster while on a walk through a forest. After hearing strange noises out in the woods, the two local men claimed they managed to film a huge hairy creature as it stepped among the trees in a snow shower in Ohio in the U.S. Posting their video on YouTube, they were convinced they had found evidence that the Bigfoot, also known as Sasquatch or Ohio Grassman, really exists. The latest footage of the strange, mythical beast captured earlier this year has been slammed as fake by doubters, but the hikers are adamant that this was the real deal. On screen, they explain how they discovered hair and bones, probably from several deer, in piles of leaves in the woods. Looks like they're ripped apart pretty good, says one in a whisper as a howling noise was heard in the distance. They used a drone to pinpoint where the sound was coming from and follow the trail. Their snowy footage shows a creature that looks a bit like a very upright ape. As it moves through the woods, then zooms in on its back as it lurks behind a nearby tree. Look at it. It's not a person. You can see all the hair. His hair is gray and black, remarks one of the men. After that, they lost sight of their quarry and tried searching up at the famous Bigfoot Ridge, but admit defeat. So, I guess the ultimate question is, was this the Ohio Grassman? Was this Bigfoot? Or was this something completely different? They asked. The story of Bigfoot has long been celebrated in the area, and people travel to Salt Fork State Park from all over the world for a chance to try to catch a glimpse of it. A group of friends were staying at this remote cabin that one of my friend's cousins owned. There was no roads leading to the cabin and it was a good three-fourths day hike from where you parked the cars. I couldn't go at the same time as everyone else due to work obligations, so I decided to head up the same day but later. It would mean I would have to camp for a night by myself, though the latter part of this trail is too dangerous to be taken at night, especially by someone who doesn't know it. I didn't care. I was kind of looking forward to it as I've never camped alone before. 
So, I was in the middle of these woods when the sun went down. I got my camp set up in this small clearing, probably 40 feet across. Get my campfire going and pitch my small, one-person tent. Do all that camping stuff like cooking hunt dogs on a stick over the fire and s'mores. I probably stay up for a good two or three hours after dark. It was mid-autumn, so the days were somewhat short. The entire time, I thought I heard shit moving in the woods on the edge of the clearing. I didn't think anything of it at first because the woods are full of animals. But, as the night went on, I realized that whatever it was was just circling the clearing over and over. Once I started paying attention, it made four or five laps around before I decided to get up and investigate. The noise stopped as soon as I stood up and I thought I heard some sounded going away through the woods. I just shrugged it off, thinking it was some fox that was curious that got scared when I stood up. I decide it's time to sleep, douse the fire, and climb into my tent. I started to doze off and stay in that half-sleep, half-awake state for a while. I normally hear weird shit when I'm in this state, so I don't think much of it when I hear a voice. Something wakes me all the way up, though, and I realize the voice is real and right outside my tent. It's just above a whisper, and I'm not sure if it was another language or if they were just speaking English in such a way that I couldn't understand. I lay there for some time, I don't know how long, listened and waiting for something to happen. There is just enough moonlight to light up the walls of the tent, so I can see when a hand presses into the wall of my tent down near my foot. This freaks me out, and I sit up quickly. Whoever was outside of the tent tore ass out of there, like running full sprint through the woods. I get out of the tent and shine my flashlight around and see nothing. I was expecting there to be a bloody handprint on the tent, but... Nope. Didn't sleep that night. Packed up camp at first light that morning and booked it to the cabin. Trapped in the cemetery. I'll be the first to admit that I've always been fascinated with death and the darker side of life. When I was a teenager and very much a goth girl... I didn't think twice when I was invited to visit a graveyard. My boyfriend enjoyed telling creepy stories and he set the tone as we made our way well after midnight. Seeing as it was just the two of us, I was a little apprehensive but the adrenaline was pumping. Once we climbed over the low fence, we ran amok, laughing and trying to freak each other out. After about 45 minutes, we started to check out several tombstones, reading out the epitaphs. I was particularly taken by one which was very old and nearly completely covered by ivy. As I pushed the leaves aside, my boyfriend whispered, Can you hear something? I asked, What? I stood up and strained my ears. At first, I didn't hear anything. Then a strange groan came out of thin air. Before I could even scream, my boyfriend took off. 
I was shocked that he left me to my own devices. Rooted to the spot, I was suddenly alone. That's when I saw an eerie apparition peek out from behind a tree. I'll never forget the terrifying hollow eyes. I fell backwards as I finally screamed, not realizing that I had landed on a grassy grave. Scrambling to get up, I yelled my boyfriend's name and noticed the wind picking up and swirling around me. As I took off, running here and there while screaming for my boyfriend, I felt like someone was right behind me. I turned to look, but no one was there. Now I'm crying and freaking out more than I have ever done before that night. The groaning started up again, propelling me into more of a crazy zigzagging through the cemetery. I felt like I was trapped in a terrifying maze, being chased by strange winds and disembodied voices. My boyfriend was nowhere to be found, and I was horrified that I couldn't find the fence, no matter where I ran. It was almost impossible for me to calm down enough to stop and try to get my bearings. At one stage, I heard sepulchral laughter followed by whispering and bizarre chattering. I was absolutely petrified. I began to cry as I stumbled around, confused and afraid that I would never find my way out. Creepy stories like nothing I had ever encountered. I was furious at my boyfriend and already knew that I would break up with him for leaving me alone and vulnerable. Then... My flesh froze as a chilling voice whispered into my ear, Stay right there. I spun around and saw what appeared to be a mist in the shape of a woman from the waist up. Her face was twisted in a snarl and I didn't wait to see what would happen next. I bolted as I screamed blue murder. It felt like I was running for hours. Sobbing now, and my legs so heavy and shaking, I finally saw the fence. In a single leap, I made it over the fence, then twisted around. As the final blast-off frozen wind would hit my face, I knew I was finally free from that cemetery. My friend had mentioned that she had one, a Ouija board that is, so I asked her to pull the board out so I could check it out. At first she said no, but then agreed to do it as long as she didn't have to participate. After she had the board set up, I asked, Is there anyone here? Nothing. So, being a dumb teenager, I said, If anything is in here and not talking, you're a coward. The board was put away after that. Fast forward about a week later and have me sleeping upstairs on a couch. I woke up on a stereotypical stormy night. Thunder and lightning, wind and rain, the works. I look around to see why I woke up and couldn't see a thing and decide to try and fall back asleep. After laying there for about 30-ish minutes, I hear from downstairs, Get the boy in a very raspy, wispy voice. I open my eyes and listen. Nothing. Start to go back to sleep. Get the boy. It was much louder this time. 
Then, my downstairs door slammed shut. I freaked the fuck out because nobody slipped down there and we had no drafts. I have a terrifying story about a Ouija board. I got a call from my cousin who said that he, his brother, his dad, and his best friend were using a Ouija board in their basement. Prior to starting, they took a large porcelain doll out of the room because it was creepy and placed it in an adjacent room face down on a pile of towels. My cousin took a short break because the board was just spouting nonsense and he went to go take a shit. His dad and brother and friend started asking the board questions without him. One of the questions was, who is in the other room? It just started spouting random numbers, and when my cousin came back into the room, his brother said that it wasn't working, that they were going to put it away, and he showed him the answer to the last question he asked, and he said, Dude, that's my social security number. Then, they started to walk to whatever started spewing answers out. It told my cousin he would die in the Air Force. At this point, they tell the entity they are communicating with to prove itself. It then spelled out the word, DOLL. And they all were like, what the fuck? They opened the door to check on the porcelain doll they had laid in the other room. And when they opened the door... The doll was standing upright in front of the door, staring right at them. Everyone freaked out and ran out of the house. His best friend burned the Ouija board, and I think he temporarily went nuts for a few months. My cousin, for some reason, then joined the Air Force and is on a base in Europe at the time of this story. I have no evidence and I do not care if you don't believe me. I've used a board with results and let something into my home and have been physically assaulted by this entity. It started out with that feeling like you're being watched and doors closing and footsteps on the hardwood when you were home alone and progressed slowly into being kept awake by something shaking the bed or pulling off your covers sometimes even whispering your name. The board would disappear for a few days on end, then show up in places you never would have put it. I became obsessed with it. Then it was a black mass in the corner of the room, or the silhouette of a man watching you from the doorway. After that, it escalated pretty quickly. I had my hair pulled, fingers pricked, scratched, choked, held down in the bed while this thing whispered in my ear in what could have only been Latin, I do believe. We had our house blessed and the bad thing has it shown back up, just the normal occurrences now, but I will never again play with one of those damn Ouija boards. Nine rules for the night shift on Halloween night at the cemetery. You sure you have the rules memorized? 
my boss asked as he gathered his belongings to go home. Yeah, sure thing. I got them all up here, I said as I pointed to my head. He gave me a nod and headed out the door of the small office to go home. My boss was a little off to say the least. This was my first month as a security guard at a cemetery right around the corner from my residence, and I had just gotten out of college about three months ago. The last month of shifts have been boring, sitting around, checking cameras, and doing rounds through the cemetery making sure nothing is out of order. Exciting, I know, right? I needed a source of income, and this was the best paying job I could find. No real experience needed the flyer said. My take was that they were desperate to find someone fast, so I took advantage of that. I was hired the day that I found the flyer over the phone. I never even found out the guy's name. Once I came in on my first day, my boss gave me no training, no do's and don'ts, just a verbal list of nine rules I had to follow and memorize before Halloween night. These rules have to be followed only on Halloween night, he said. You must follow these rules to the exact way they are told to you. If you mess up even a small part, well, you won't mess up, because I trust you to follow them word for word. I looked at him, confused, because this sounded almost like a threat. Nevertheless, I pulled out my phone and started an audio recording so he could record the list. Once he finished telling me the rules, I was in absolute disbelief. This guy is insane. No wonder why no one wants to work here. This guy is actually insane, I thought to myself. I know every place has certain rules to follow, but to designate a set of rules, insane rules, for Halloween night only? I guess you don't know how I felt until I tell you the rules that he gave me, word for word, exactly how he told me, straight from the recording. Rule number one, on Halloween night, please arrive at 8.30 p.m., no earlier, no later. Do not walk in these doors until it reaches 8.30, for the love of God, please. Rule number two, Stay inside the office until 9.15. Do not leave. Keep yourself occupied, but do not check the security cameras during this time. I'll make sure to turn them off before you get there, so there is no temptation to peek at them. This might be one of the most important rules. If the monitor turns on by itself, do not look either. If for some reason you look and you see it has rebuilt the A section of the cemetery, you must turn off the lights of the office and hide. If it reveals the B or C section and you look at it, your only option is to run. Good luck with this. To make this easier, just cover the monitor with a jacket or blanket, because you will not want to see what happens out there this time of night on Halloween. Rule number three. After 9.15 strikes, you will have 30 seconds to get out of the office. Leave the door unlocked. It is possible you will pass an unnaturally tall figure with no facial features. This is not a Halloween costume, and you must tell him, good evening. 
and look him right where his eyes would be. If he doesn't respond, continue on your way to patrol the cemetery. If he says anything at all, you must stand completely still. Do not move a muscle. He might walk around you, but if you keep still until he's done, he should walk away with no problem, go into the office, and he will slam the door behind him. Number 4. You will make your way to Section A. Once you inspect Section A, you will realize the gravestone titled James R. Hackney is being dug up completely. This is not out of the ordinary. Do not, and I mean do not pay any attention to what is inside the six-foot hole in the ground. You will not see the rest of your shift if you look down that hole. Just keep walking to Section B and do not look back. Rule number five. As soon as you cross the bridge from Section A to B, you will notice about a dozen shadow-like figures standing around in a circle around the big oak tree to the left of the bridge. Please listen closely to what I'm about to say. You must find the figure wearing the black top hat. You will walk up behind him and ask, Am I clear? If you hear a voice from inside your head say, Continue. Then you can carry on to Section B. If you don't hear anything, you must wait. You can look over to the section at this time, but I recommend keeping your eyes down. Trust me. There will be no physical harm to you if you look, but I can't promise you will be emotionally intact after that. Rule number six. Once you get to go ahead, continue on to Section B. You may walk around and do what you would normally do every night here. The only catch is you must stay in this section until 10 p.m. It should be 9.30 to 9.45 by now, so you won't have to wait long. After the time crosses 10, continue on. Rule number 7. After walking out of Section B, you will notice a strange temperature change and lighting change. The time will have jumped to 2 a.m. after crossing. Do not panic, and please do not answer your phone. Your phone will be ringing constantly. As soon as it starts ringing, you will stand still and not move until it stops. It will be calls from your mother, father, siblings, girlfriend, boyfriend, anyone you can think of. You must not answer these calls. It is not actually them calling. It is in fact the man that you saw earlier. The one with no facial features. He is trying to lure you back to the office. You must stay away from that office until I tell you to go back. Your phone will stop ringing after about an hour and a half, which leaves you at around 2.30 a.m. You can continue on at this point. Rule number eight. You will notice another time jump. This one two more hours from 2.30 to 4.30. If the time still says 2.30 after the calls stop, you are in trouble. Unfortunately, there is nothing you can do here. You messed up a step at some point if you end up here. You can finally finish your inspection of Section C. You must be prepared for a woman covered in blood to run up to you begging for help. She will be asking you where her baby is. 
and if you can come fast to help her, do not be startled, no matter how loud she yells. Tell her you will meet her outside the cemetery in ten minutes. For her to wait there, she will run off to the opposite direction, and that's how you know you succeeded. There will be a lot of towels and rags all over the ground covered in blood around Section C. This is the only maintenance you will have to do. Just pick them up and dispose of them in the waste bin closest to you. Rule number nine. After completing this final task, you must run back to your office. Do not look anywhere but ahead of you. You will see figures everywhere. You will hear your name being called from voices that you think you recognize. Just keep running. Once you reach the office, you will see the faceless man leaving the office building. It should be 5 a.m. at this point. He will stop you and either say, Good work, and nod at you, and you will slowly walk into the office and close the door. For the remainder of the shift, you can check the cameras, sit down, and go on with your shift until I come inside to start mine. Or he could say, Come with me. If he says come with me, you will run and lock yourself in the office. Do not fall for his calm, monotone voice. He is anything but calm if you mess with him. Do not let him in and wait for him to stop banging on the door. Once this stops, cover your eyes for the last hour of your shift. Don't look around until you hear three knocks on the door. This will be me to relieve you of your shift. You won't be called on for a few weeks to come to terms with what you have seen, and you will be paid a handsome amount of money for your duties. Now that you have listened to the rules as well, I hope you can understand my initial suspicion and why I was so baffled. I thought this was a joke until I finished my shift. After I arrived at 8.30, my boss left and I decided I was going to just follow the rules given to me to humble him and be a good sport to the prank. I didn't check the cameras, and I headed out the door. After going outside, the brisk fall air hit me as I saw the tall man walking up to me. I looked at him, and he was actually faceless. It looked so real and kind of gave me the creeps. I almost forgot to tell him, Good evening. He looked at me. Well, I think he did and continued on through the door. I shivered a little as I headed on straight to Section A. I arrive at the entrance, and I search for James R. Hackney's grave, a grave I always saw, as it was the biggest one there. To my disbelief, it was actually being dug up. I felt sick to my stomach that they would go this far to scare me. So I hurried past the grave as a wave of uneasiness came over me, this can't be real. I reassured myself as I headed across the bridge to Section B. I scanned for the oak tree, and when I finally found it, I noticed the figures my boss warned me about. I instantly spotted the one with the top hat. I unsteadily scurried over to him and asked, Am I clear? No answer. As I stood there waiting for an answer, that never came. I decided to look away from the man and peek over to Section B, because surely the pranksters wanted me to look. 
since they warned me against it. I froze and felt pins and needles in my hands as I saw myself standing there in the distance. At least what looked like me, except I was taller and covered in blood. As the figure that presumably was with me stared back, it let out a screech and started running towards me. I was startled and absolutely mortified by this and turned around to run. I looked back and as it reached his arms out, it completely vanished. As soon as it vanished, I heard a voice from within my head say, Continue. At this point, I had a million thoughts running through my head as I started to realize whatever was happening was somehow impossibly real, and I felt my mind switch from confused to defensive. I inspected the area until 10 p.m., constantly looking over my shoulder. I checked my phone and saw it was time to move on to Section 3. I felt exactly what I was told a temperature change and saw the surroundings get just a little bit darker. It was noticeably colder. No way, I told myself as I reached for my phone, which displayed 2 o'clock. Before I could form another thought, my phone rang right on cue and stopped dead in my tracks. Dad, the phone displayed. I stared back at the phone as I looked at those three letters. I never knew my dad and definitely never had him saved in my phone. I felt a tear from in my eye because this was a very sensitive topic to me. I let it ring as I got lost in a trance and thinking about how on earth any of this was even possible. The ringing finally stopped and I let out a sigh of relief. I remembered the next rule about the time and opened my phone again, 2.30. I kept... <clears throat> I kept moving on with some stray tears in my eyes, watching my phone turn from 2.30 to 4.30. This was a relief to me because now that I knew this was somehow real, I realized I have done all the steps right to this so far. As I started inspecting Section 3 with cold fingers and numb toes, I heard screaming. Naturally, this scared the hell out of me and I jumped out of my shoes. I snapped my head around to a blood-covered woman screaming, My baby! I can't find my baby. I told her after a bit of hesitation. I told her to meet me at the entrance of the cemetery in ten minutes. She nodded and ran off, and I noticed a ton of blood-covered rags all over the ground. Shaken up by her screams, I slowly picked up the rags and threw them out. I looked around and ran back to my office. The whole run, I didn't see anyone and didn't hear anything, which was weird because my boss said otherwise. I'll count my blessings here, though, and find myself in front of the office finally. The guy was leaving this time. I looked at him in complete terror as he turned my way and said, Come with me. I wasted no time running past him into the office and slamming the door behind me. What did I mess up? I yelled over the sound of banging on the door as I pulled a jacket over my head. I shivered in fear for the entire hour until I heard three knocks on the door. 
I shot up, threw the door open to reveal my boss, then yelled, What the hell did you just put me through? I was mad, although relieved to see him, who looked a lot more colorful and lifelike than he has in the past. He looked at me and smiled at me. Go home, kid. Get some sleep. I yelled back, No! I want answers! You cannot just tell me to go after the night I just had. He looked at me and said, You took care of my cemetery, kid. I thank you for that. He held out his hand for a handshake. The name is James Randall Hackney, and I've been dead for 200 years. Every Halloween, I leave the cemetery and recharge, so my physical body does not perish. You covered me last night, and I thank you for that. It didn't take me long to recognize his name as the same name on the gravestone that was dug up. I stared back at him, mouth open, speechless. I walked out of that door, packed my house up, and never came back to this town ever again. Let me start off by saying my husband is native, and this happened about six years before I met him. My ex-husband was stationed in San Diego, and I flew out there to visit him. Unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to stay with him on the base for whatever reason. Don't ask me, because I don't even know myself. Also, I should add I had just given birth about three months before this, and I had my son with me. Anyway... I found a hotel that wasn't far from the base and close to food and whatnot. I went out to get some food and then walked back to the hotel since it wasn't very far. Unfortunately, with my horrible sense of direction, I got lost and ended up near a wooded area, but there was a highway also nearby. It was getting close to sunset and I started seeing sets of shining eyes and I thought they were just coyote. I'm not afraid of much. After about 20 minutes, one set of shining eyes got closer and I saw it was a coyote. I watched Steve Irwin as a teenager and remembered that if you make yourself appear bigger and louder than you actually are, they will usually run off. So I started clapping my hands and shouting. This one, however, didn't. It stood up and started walking like a person. I've never run away from something that fast in my life. It never followed me, and I wasn't going to stick around to find out what it was. It wasn't until I met my current husband that I found out what it was, and the look on his face when I told him this story. He went pale. He never said anything, he just kind of nodded like he understood. Maybe... It knew I was still semi-healing from having recently given birth, or it saw my son in the stroller I was pushing and just wanted to scare me. Either way, I don't know. I just know it succeeded in scaring the living shit out of me. This isn't really a question, it's more or less telling the story of how I saw a skinwalker and didn't even know what it was at the time.
This is the story of a young girl from blank called Sarah. As a child, Sarah was afraid of the dark and got a dog to keep her company. Subsequently, she slept peacefully knowing the dog was under her bed. If she was afraid, she only had to reach out her hand and her dog would start licking it until she fell asleep. Years went by like this and Sarah grew up and the dog became old. One night on the radio, she heard that a dangerous murderer was thought to be in the vicinity of blank. With her dog at her side, Sarah was not afraid. She got into bed, stretched out her hand, and the dog, as what it usually does, began to lick her. She slept soundly, and when she woke up, she was surprised that the dog was still licking. Looking under the bed, she screamed. The dog lay dead, and the tongue that was so tirelessly licking her belonged to a man. This short tale begins benignly enough with a friendly-seeming ghost playing with children, and when you learn the origins of the ghost and just why the ghost is moving the object around the room, it quickly gets a lot creepier. When my sister Betsy and I were kids, our family lived for a while in a charming old farmhouse. We loved exploring its dusty corners and climbing the apple tree in the backyard. But our favorite thing was the ghost. We called her Mother because she seemed so kind and nurturing. Some mornings, Betsy and I would wake up and on each of our nightstands, we'd find a cup that hadn't been there the night before. Mother had left them there, worried that we'd get thirsty during the night. She just wanted to take care of us. Among the home's original furnishings was an antique wooden chair, which we kept against the back wall of the living room. Whenever we were preoccupied watching TV or playing a game, Mother would inch that chair forward across the room towards us. Sometimes she'd manage to move it all the way to the center of the room. We always felt sad putting it back against the wall. Mother just wanted to be near us. Years later, long after we'd moved out, I found an old newspaper article that the farmhouse's original occupant, a widow, She'd murdered her two children by giving them each a cup of poisoned milk before bed. Then she hung herself. The article included a photo of the farmhouse's living room with the woman's body hanging from a beam. Beneath her, knocked over, was that old wooden chair placed exactly in the center of the room. Did it get colder in here or is it just me? It was Halloween night, the year of 1999. I was 10 years old, in the fifth grade. I lived in a town in New Hampshire and had three best friends who I'll refer to as Allison, Emma, and Meredith in this story. On Halloween night, we all met up in my house. Then we set off on a trick-or-treating adventure in our neighborhood. Our goals was to go to lots of houses and collect as much candy as we could. This year, all of our parents let us go out on our own. It was us four girls on an adventure on Halloween night. Everything went well. 
we collected lots of candy and we really enjoyed ourselves. The four of us realized that it was getting pretty late and the majority of the trick-or-treaters had already gone home by this point. Halloween was on a Sunday that year, which meant that we all had to go home and get to bed so we'd be ready for school the next day. We began to head in the direction of our houses, which were all pretty close together. As we were walking down a dark street, we saw somebody come out from behind a tree. This person was quite tall, and they were wearing a ghost face costume from the Scream movies. We thought it was just some older kid trying to give us girls a scare. All of us brushed it off and continued on our way. As we continued heading home, I happened to glance behind me and noticed the same guy we saw by the tree. He was following us. I whispered to my friends that the creepy guy was behind us and urged them to walk faster, to try and get away from him. Emma, who was the tough, brave girl in our group, decided to turn around and confront this mysterious man. She called him a creep and asked what the hell he was doing. Then, the guy pulled something out from under his cape. I realized it was a small pocket knife. All of a sudden, he started running towards us. The four of us started to run like hell away from this crazy person. It seriously felt like we were in a horror movie. We continued to run as fast as our legs would carry us, and we never looked back for a second. Eventually, we lost him. We all sat down to take a breather, and we were glad we had outran this creep. Then I realized something. There were only three of us now. It was me, Allison, and Meredith. But Emma was nowhere to be seen. We thought maybe Emma had run off in a different direction than we did. Our minds tried not to jump to the worst-case scenario, that the creep had captured our friend and did something horrible to her. Just then, we saw somebody limping towards us. It was Emma. We noticed she had blood running down her right leg. She told us that the guy had grabbed her and took her behind some trees. He stabbed her leg, but she punched him in the face and got away. Like I said, Emma was the tough girl in the group, and she wasn't one to be messed with. Then, something happened. While Emily was telling her story of how she fought off the creepy, knife-wielding guy, she collapsed to the ground. We then noticed that she had a gaping stab wound to her lower back. Apparently, the guy must have stabbed her while she was trying to fight him off. Emma was unconscious, and we thought she had just died in front of us. We ran to the nearest house we saw that had a French port light on. We frantically rang the doorbell, and an older man came out of the house. We told him that our friend had been injured and needed an ambulance. The man came with us while he told his wife to call the police. The man helped us carry Emma back to the house, and we all waited there for an ambulance to arrive. Within five minutes, the ambulance arrived and took Emma to the hospital. The police also showed up, and one of the officers questioned Allison, Meredith, and I about what happened to our friend. We told him that a guy in a ghost face costume started following us, then ran after us with a knife. We said that he stabbed Emma while she was struggling to get away from him. The officer took our statement, 
shortly after all of our parents arrived to the scene. They were all worried sick as we had been gone for several hours and it was well past our bedtimes. We all went home and prayed that Emma would be all right. So, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that Emma survived. She had to stay in the hospital for a little while, but she eventually made a full recovery. Emma and her parents moved away towards the end of the year, mostly due to the fact that their only child was nearly murdered on Halloween night in a town that was considered to be very safe, and also never had any violent crimes take place. Although Emma appeared to be brave and tough about the incident on the outside, on the inside she was terrified and very shaken up about it. The bad news is that the police didn't find the crazy guy who chased us down and nearly murdered our friend. After we gave them our statement on Halloween, they conducted an investigation to try and track down the guy who was responsible. However, there wasn't enough evidence to charge anybody. The police urged the people in our town to be very cautious when traveling the streets late at night. Part 2 of this story it had been exactly one year since the terrifying ordeal we went through last Halloween. I was still close with Allison and Meredith. I still kept in contact with Emma, who was now living in Pennsylvania. We were now in the sixth grade in middle school and we were getting ready to go trick-or-treating again. This year, we were extra cautious, as were all the other children in our neighborhood who went trick-or-treating that night. My friends and I decided to go trick-or-treating earlier this year and to not stay out for too late this time. Nothing bad happened this year. No knife-wielding creeps trying to kill us or anything like that. The next morning, I saw something terrifying on the local news. There was a port about a 10-year-old girl who had disappeared while she was out trick-or-treating the previous night. Allison, Meredith, and I were all scared and the memories of the horrors we went through last Halloween just hit us like a ton of bricks. A few days later, the headless body was found in a creek. The remains couldn't be identified, but the police speculated that the remains belonged to the girl who disappeared on Halloween night, as the remains appeared to be those of a young girl who was aged between 9 and 10 years. We decided to not tell Emma anything about what happened. We did not want to trigger any bad memories for her. However, Emma called us up later that day and asked if we were all right. She had heard about what happened from a friend of her parents that lived in our town. The police conducted another investigation, but this time the killer was found. A few days after the girl's body was discovered, a teenage girl came into the town's police station. She told officers that her boyfriend had what appeared to be a real, decomposing human head in his basement. The police searched the boyfriend's house and discovered the severed head. The head was positively identified from dental records as the young girl who had gone missing on Halloween night. The police also found other disturbing things, like the bloody remains of dead cats, dogs, and other animals. The police now knew who was responsible for the murder, and the boyfriend was arrested. The killer was a 19-year-old man, 
When the police questioned him, he talked about killing the young girl with joy and pleasure. He also said that a voice told him that every Halloween, he has to kill a young child or something horrible would happen to him. He said that he almost killed a little girl the year before, but she got away from him. That girl was our friend, Emma. Now, we all knew the identity of the guy who terrorized us on Halloween in 1999. We're grateful that Emma lived, but we felt so awful for the poor girl who didn't survive. The man was going to be charged with second-degree murder and one count of attempted murder, and he was acquitted by reason of insanity and placed in a mental institution somewhere in New Hampshire. My friends and I were relieved to know that this sick psychopath was now locked up. We continued living out our childhood days, but we never forgot about the Halloween horrors we experienced. Part 3, Present Day, 2017 It's been 18 years since the terrifying ordeal we went through as kids. I'm now 28 years old and living a big city life in New York City. I'm still in contact with Allison and Meredith through social media. Sadly, we lost Emma last year on Halloween. She committed suicide after many years of battling severe depression and anxiety. Allison and I decided to come back to our hometown in New Hampshire for a visit. While we were there, we met up with Meredith, who still resides in her hometown. She started reminiscing about our childhood memories and the terrifying events we endured on Halloween night. Back in 1999 and 2000 came up in the conversation. Thankfully, there have been no violent crimes in our hometown since then, and the town is once again considered to be a safe community. The next day, I left to go back home to New York City. Allison stayed there for a few extra days with her family. I said my goodbyes to my two childhood friends and went back home. A few weeks later, the day after Halloween, I got a phone call from Allison. She had terrible news. Meredith was found brutally murdered in her apartment in our new Hampshire hometown. I was in complete shock, horror, and disbelief. I simply couldn't believe that somebody did that to Meredith. Unfortunately, it was real. Meredith was now gone, along with Emma, two of my best friends in childhood, now dead. It was strange that both of them died on the exact day, just one year apart. Even though Emma's death was ruled as a suicide, I'm still very suspicious and thinking this might not be a coincidental thing. My fears were confirmed later that day when I returned home. I walked into my New York City apartment and fell back in horror. There was a bloody message written on my wall that read, You're next. I turned the corner to go into the living room and fell back in horror once again when I saw my dead cat hanging from the ceiling fan. My sweet cat had been gutted and that frightening message on the wall had been written in his blood. I called the police, but there wasn't a whole lot they could do other than determine that my apartment had been broken into. They said they'd try to figure out who might be behind this, but I already knew who it was. 
I knew the person responsible was that sick lunatic who terrorized my friends and I when we were children. I'm guessing he must have escaped the mental institution and now he's back to finish what he started 18 years ago. I think that night he had planned on killing all four of us girls. Now he's out of the institution and killing my friends. First was Emma, then Meredith, and apparently I'm next, probably followed by Allison. Then his murderous rage would be complete when all of us are dead. He has only murdered people on Halloween, so I'm assuming he'll be back for me next Halloween. I have no idea how this sick psycho found out where I lived. Needless to say, I am absolutely terrified, and I don't know what I should do now. I'm seriously considering changing my identity or even leaving the country just to get away from the psychopath. I'm advising Allison to do the same since he's after her too. All I can do now is pray that the psycho won't find me and somebody will find him and put him back where he belongs so he won't terrorize anyone ever again. I don't know about you guys, but that gave me really Michael Myers vibes. I'm actually sitting here with chills. I hope you like that story. Anyway, on we go. It was Halloween night and I was about 11. My mom had taken me to my cousin Lucy's house to trick or treat because a few kids from my school lived on her street. Also her, at the time, Osa's gay friend was with her, but we would all joke that we thought they were dating. He had had a girlfriend before, but I think this was before he knew he was gay. We were allowed to walk quite a distance from my cousin's house, probably further than most older kids should, or could for that matter. We trick-or-treated for a while and decided to make our way to the local Tesco, a local supermarket to get a pumpkin as they were usually as cheapest on Halloween night. On our way, we noticed a grown man in normal clothes beside one of those extra gruesome Halloween masks made seemingly just so adults can scare kids. It was of an incredibly mutilated and bloodied face. He was hiding in some bushes, but it seemed like he wanted us to see him. I remember thinking it was weird because he definitely seemed old, judging by his hands, so he wasn't just some teenager. I realized he seemed like one of those sad old dudes that get some perverse joy out of scaring little kids. When we came out of the shop, we had a pumpkin each because they were so cheap. We saw the guy had moved to a closer bush and was tilting his head like something out of a horror movie. We laughed it off and walked back to Lucy's house. Just before we reached Lucy's street, we stopped for some reason. I think we were laughing at a joke or something. Then, as I was at the back of the group, I noticed the creepy guy was right behind us with his arms raised. And then he made an attempt to grab me, but I stepped back. Not too exaggerated to the point, he was obviously joking, but... To the point it wasn't entirely obvious whether he was playing a simple prank or absolutely insane. I assume since he followed us home, it was Lucy's dad Richie with some fake old guy glove. So I just turned around and said, Uncle Rich, 
My friends bolted away and I soon followed. We got to Lucy's house and told our parents and they seemed very concerned for some reason. A few years later, my dad told me that a guy on Lucy's street had been arrested for pedophilia before he moved there. So my dad and Rich threatened him that if he ever came near us, they would get him. I assume this was an empty threat, although I do not know how tough and protective dads can be. But I think the pedo thought it was an empty threat too. I've always wondered if that was him. What could have happened to me and my friends that night? I don't know. Creepy guy who was possibly a pedophile? Let's not ever meet again. Eleven Most Haunted Cemeteries in America Number 1. Westminster Hall and Burial Ground, Baltimore, Maryland The cemetery at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Baltimore, Maryland is the home of the Screaming Skull. The legend states that a minister was murdered here and every night at the same time, his skull would start screaming. Eventually, his body was dug up and the skull gagged before being encased in a concrete block that now stands by his gravestone. According to locals, it is still possible to hear the muffled screaming on quiet nights. Edgar Allan Poe is also buried here, but he seems to be at rest. Number 2. Union Cemetery, Easton, Connecticut Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut dates back to the 1600s, so it is not difficult to imagine it is haunted. The cemetery is known locally as White Lady Cemetery after its most prevalent ghost. This lady in white is said to roam the cemetery at night and will sometimes venture beyond its gates and onto the road. Several drivers have reported hitting her with their vehicles only for her to be disappeared promptly. She is not alone in haunting Union Cemetery, as there have also been reports of glowing red eyes peering at them from out of the darkest corners. Number 3. Bonaventure Cemetery, Savannah, Georgia Next, we stop in this historic southern city on our trip to America's real haunted cemetery. Savannah is one city that is incredibly proud of its ghosts, so it is only to be expected that they have their own haunted cemetery, complete with a chilling tale to tell. The most famous that is said to be roaming Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah is Gracie Watson, a little girl who died of pneumonia at just six years old. Not only has little Gracie been spotted playing between the tombstones, but the statue of her by her grave has also been known to cry tears of blood on occasion. Number 4. Resurrection Cemetery, Justice, Illinois Resurrection Cemetery in Justice, Illinois is an incredibly creepy place to be. Even the name conjures up spooky ideas. The most famous haunting here relates to a spirit known as Resurrection Mary. Mary was a young girl killed in a hit-and-run accident sometime in the 1930s. Witnesses say that she can now be seen walking that same street where she was killed 
and that she sometimes hitches a ride back to the cemetery with young male drivers who are shocked when she vanishes from their car as they near the cemetery gates. Number 5. Howard Street Cemetery, Salem, Massachusetts Salem, Massachusetts is famous for one thing, the witch trials in the late 1600s. Speculation was rife about who was and who wasn't practicing dark magic. One of those accused was a wealthy farmer named Giles Corey. He was accused of being a warlock and was tortured to death during his so-called trial. Corey is seeking revenge for his untimely death and is said to haunt Howard Street Cemetery and the surrounding area. This would make perfect sense given that he is buried here in Howard Street Cemetery, but it was also the spot where he died as a result of pressing. He is believed to specifically target sheriff's officers, perhaps as they are the closest thing to do the witch finding we have today. Corey's ghost has also become to be a harbinger of tragedy. Whenever his ghost is seen around town, it is usually directly before something tragic happens. Number 6. Hollywood Forever, Los Angeles, California Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Los Angeles is registered on the National Register of Historic Places. Plenty of deceased stars call this place their finding resting place, and it even shares a wall with Paramount Studios. Among the famous faces that are still roaming around is Rudolph Valentino. His ghost has been seen wandering around the area, looking every bit as handsome as he did before his unexpected death in 1926. Every year, a mysterious lady in black visited his grave on the anniversary of his death. It is said that she still visits now, albeit in spirit form. Other Hollywood stars buried there who are not yet ready to leave the spotlight include Clifton Webb, who starred in the Mr. Belvedere films and has been seen frequently wandering around the scary graveyard. Number 7. Silver Cliff Cemetery, Silver Cliff, Colorado Another one of the most haunted graveyards in the country is said to be Silver Cliff Cemetery in Colorado. However, it is not a ghostly apparition that this place is famous for, but rather the Silver Cliff lights. These ghost lights look like blue lantern lights or bright white spheres. They appear over the cemetery gates at night and then float through the burial ground bouncing off the tombstones. There has never been any cause for the lights established, and most locals agree that they are paranormal. The cemetery is still in use today and is owned and operated by the town. Number 8. Stoll Cemetery, Kansas Stoll Cemetery in Kansas is considered by many to serve as one of the gates to hell. There have been ghost stories linked to this place for hundreds of years. One of the hauntings focal points seems to be an abandoned church that stands right next to the graveyard. Many people have had strange occurrences when entering this church, including being grabbed by unseen hands. On one occasion, the Pope himself refused to fly over what he called a demonic piece of land. 
Local legend suggests that this has always been an evil place and that the church was considered to cover the gateway. However, it became a meeting point for witches and Satanists to gather and hold rituals after the church closed. There are also rumors that witches were hanged in the trees within the church ground in the past. There is one tree in particular that is now growing through a tombstone, which is also said to be a focal point for paranormal activity. Number 9. St. Louis Cemetery, Number 1, New Orleans, Louisiana Anyone who knows anything about New Orleans knows that you can barely take a step without running into something like a paranormal twist to it. One of the oldest cemeteries in America, St. Louis Cemetery, it is also incredibly haunted, so much so that it's regarded as one of the world's most haunted cemeteries. Most believe that much of the activity reported here can be attributed to the fact that notorious voodoo queen Marie Laval is one of the 100,000 people buried here. With thousands of tourists flocking to this graveyard each year, it's undoubtedly one of the most famous haunted cemeteries on this list. Regarded by many as the most haunted place in New Orleans, hundreds of people visit her grave each year to ask for a wish to be granted. Number 10. Boot Hill Cemetery, Tombstone, Arizona This scary cemetery in Tombstone, Arizona has become known simply as Boot Hill. The burial ground is undoubtedly not well cared for, and the strange overgrown look about the place only seems to add to the spooky reputation. Those who have dared to go exploring Boot Hill have described seeing very unfriendly spirits around the place. It is believed that many of those buried here have links to the gunfight at the Oklahoma Corral involving the Earp brothers, Doc Holliday and Clayton Gang. Number 11. Bachelors Grove Cemetery, Illinois Bachelors Grove Cemetery in Illinois is not only considered to be one of the most haunted cemeteries in America, but some would go as far as to say that it is one of the most haunted cemeteries in the world. The burial ground is tucked away in the middle of a creepy forest and looks spooky enough based only on its appearance. However, once you get into the ghostly tales connected to this place, you soon realize that there are even more reasons why this cemetery will creep you out. It was once used as a dumping ground for 1930s gangsters to leave their victims, and some of them have been seen wandering around the cemetery. Many visitors have reported seeing unexplained things during visits to the cemetery with one of the most common sightings of a ghostly woman sitting on the tombstones. Something was trying to get in. A ghost story version of the Bell Witch tale. Editor's note, this ghost story version of the Bell Witch tale was originally published in the Tennessean on October 22, 2001. We presented here for anyone looking to get spooked by a local legend. Something was trying to get in. 
asleep beneath her quilt in 1817. Betsy Bell awoke in the dark to a sound, a knock at the door. But no one was there. Night after night, doors were pounded, windows banged on, and the flapping of wings sounded against the roof. Betsy's father and brothers would examine the house, but in the moonlight that shone on their log cabin, they found nothing. As the days went by, the sounds grew louder and more frequent, until they shook the cabin with all of their force. Maybe they were caused by earthquakes, Betsy's father thought, but no one else in the neighborhood was affected. Maybe they were the work of scoundrels up to mischief, he guessed, but the culprit couldn't be caught. This one night, there was a scratching sound inside Betsy's room, like claws scraping the floor. It had gotten inside. Every night after that, the noise kept 12-year-old Betsy and the rest of her family awake and scared. It moved throughout the house, getting worse and worse. Finally, when we would search for a rat in our room, the same noise would appear in Sister Elizabeth's chamber, disturbing her and harassing all the family, wrote Betsy's little brother, Richard Williams Bell, years later. Then, one night, while Betsy huddled under her quilt, the cover slid off as if someone were pulling them. She could hear the sound of smacking lips gulping and choking. Soon, members of the family regularly were having their blankets torn off, and Betsy and her brothers tried to get them back. An unseen hand would slap them. It also began to pinch them, hit them, and pull their hair. Family finally had to admit the truth. They had a ghost. Then the ghost began to talk. The voice would laugh, sing, curse, and sometimes recite prayers and sermons. The spirit began to like Betsy's mother loosely, but it hated her father, John. The ghost also seemed to hate Betsy and was especially abusive towards her. Not only was the girl slapped until welts appeared, but she started having fainting spells. Betsy would start panting or gasping for breath. Sometimes she closed her eyes and lay as though she were dead, losing her breath for as long as a minute. Then the spells would pass and she would be fine. When Betsy felt like she couldn't take any more, her parents sent her to a friend's house to spend the night. On her first night away from home, Betsy ate supper with her best friend. They talked for a while and then headed to bed. They had just snuggled under their covers when a knock sounded at the bedroom door. Then the door flew open, and a blast of wind blew out the candles. The covers were jerked from the bed. The girls jumped up to close the door and found it never had been opened. People accused Betsy of making up the ghost and creating those noises herself using ventriloquism or making her voice sound like it was coming from someplace else. But soon the hauntings grew beyond anything a 12-year-old girl could produce. When a strange nervous condition made it difficult for John Bell to chew or swallow, he blamed it on the ghost. He seemed he couldn't keep the family secret anymore. 
Once word got out, concerned friends and curious visitors visited the bells to hear the ranting and raving of the ghost, which became known as the Bell Witch. The witch was a torment, not only to Betsy, but to John Bell. The spirit taunted and threatened them. More and more, he would suffer spells and facial contortions, which forced him to take to his bed. In 1820, three years after the haunting began, John's sons found him unconscious. In the cupboard where John's medicines were kept, his son found a strange bottle. The witch laughed and said she gave it to him. She said he would never wake up. And wake up, he never did. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to these subscriber-requested Halloween stories. I'm sorry if it's a little bit short, but part two and part three will be out, which should have more length. I always like to say, if you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. In the meantime, please take care of yourselves. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all. 